Uh, one thing I love about coaching my boys baseball and basketball teams, it's not the win-loss record, but it's seeing how each individual player grows throughout the season. How the team comes together uh, from a, a ragtag bunch of kids at the beginning of the season, and all of a sudden they begin to play a little bit more like a team, and, and kids get better, and all the individual parts get better. All of a sudden, games that we would have lost early in the year, we were either really close or, or could pull them off at the end. There's a, a couple kids on our team uh, this year, uh, on our baseball team this year, that they hadn't played in a few years. And at the beginning of the season, it was really, really, really rough. And it's like, oh, can, can they protect themselves enough to do this? And, and, and one of those kids made the all-star team. Because all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, he figured out hitting. And he just hits lasers all over the place. And, and he, he, he still runs kind of funny. But, 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 he, but he plays hard. And he smiles. And you see him just, he's just hitting balls all over the place. And he, at the beginning of the year, it wasn't like that. And begin to see kids come into their own and they begin to enjoy the game. They enjoy the process. They enjoy playing with this, the, the, their teammates. And all of a sudden, there's this joy and there's this happiness. And you see how as they develop and they grow, that they have a love for the game. They have a, a care for one another. And they, and, they, and they seek to give their very best. It's interesting that in youth sports, it's not often the best players that win games. But it's the teams that play together the best that will win games. And so that's why I want us all to wear our, our, our favorite team jerseys today. So maybe if you're at home, maybe you've got a shirt on. Uh, maybe you're, uh, drinking, you've got a drink in, in your favorite team's cup or, or mug that you have at home. Because all, we, 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 there's something about our team that we care about. We, maybe it's an individual in that team. Maybe there's a star in that team. It's like, hey, we know that if everyone kind of gathers around and rallies around that person, all of a sudden, you know, or that, or, that, or that star, he helps raise everybody else's game. And all of a sudden, when, when we're playing well together, we win. Well, one of my favorite pastor author guys is a guy named uh, uh, Jim Putman. And the first book he wrote is called Church is a Team Sport. Church is a Team Sport. And, and he uh, was a uh, a, a great high school and college wrestler. In fact, he didn't go to, uh, uh, to, 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 to a seminary. He didn't go to a Bible college. He went to a state school and, and, and on a wrestling scholarship. And he was like a, a, a national champion wrestler. And so he applies the, the, the techniques and things that he learned from, uh, from his wrestling coaches and from coaching wrestling himself to how that applies into ministry and how that applies in leadership and how that applies in, in leading a church. And some of those same coaching techniques help people succeed in faith as well as wrestling. So when we read scripture, when we read scripture, we never really see the church described as an individual. We don't see the church described as one person. It's always group language, right? You know, we see uh, 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 the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. That we are this, this group where there's, there's multiple members, where, where, where all these different individual pieces come together as one. We're described as a family, right? Yeah, you, you can have family units of one, but oftentimes when we think family, we think multiple people, multiple generations. There's a group, there is a, there, there is a, a larger unit, there's a, a team of people, right? And most teams don't just have one person. Most teams have 
a number of group of individuals all joined together to pull towards a common goal, to pull to, towards a common end. And it's interesting that, 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 in fact, even the word that the, the Bible is most translated as the word church is the word assembly. It means the called out ones, that all these individuals called out together, joined together into one assembly, into one group. And for any of these groups to find success, they all have to come together as a unified body. Think about your physical body. Wherever you go, it all goes with you, right? I mean, at least most of the time. Maybe, maybe you, know, you, you have an injury. Uh, maybe you've pulled something. Uh, you know, but, but usually, when you go somewhere, one foot doesn't get stuck behind, right? Like this person says, I'm not moving. You know, no, you know, when you move, everything goes with you. Or, or can you imagine if you're walking along, and all of a sudden, like your arm decided it was no longer going to go with you, and you're like having to drag it. It'd be really bad if your guts decide to stop moving, right? Like you just, that would make a mess. No, no, we're just staying right here. The rest of your body. And that's why we have red carpeting here at the church. Uh, And so, uh, but when we move, our body all moves together. Unless something is failing, unless, you know, unless there's some sort of condition that we have that for some reason, something occasionally fails. Sometimes our arm doesn't work right. Have you ever woke up in the morning like your arm's asleep? Yeah, we, we, I was having a sleepover as uh, when I was a, a kid. My my cousin uh, came over and he spent the night and and uh, he he was sleeping on the floor in my room in a sleeping bag and and uh, he woke up in the morning and his arm was asleep. It was just like dead there. And he's trying to rock to kind of get some blood flow. And all of a sudden, as he finally it comes to and slaps him in the face. And sometimes we have condi- conditions like that where part of our body isn't doesn't work quite the right way. But usually, our bodies work in harmony and in unison together. It's not usually fighting against. When our body starts fighting against itself, we have an illness, we have a disease, we have this reason, we have something that's not right. And so we go and we get it fixed because we want our bodies to work in unity. The same ought to be true for the body of Christ. We have different parts. All of us bring different things to the table. But oftentimes, we have one part of the body going in this direction, another part of the body going in this direction, and some other part of the body just sitting still. And we wonder why we can't make any advancements, why we can't grow, why we aren't uh, 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 seeing growth in our church. And a lot of times, it's because we aren't all pulling in the same direction. See, the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives in each and every one of us. And God has empowered us as his church, as the body of Christ, with different individual gifts, with different individual abilities. And when we all pull in the same direction, we have this compounding effect. There's a compounding effect of effort, of resources, of abilities, directed to meet the needs of the community and advancing the mission of Jesus. And that's an important note to make. We don't do any of this for ourselves. We do this all for Jesus. As you, a common saying in sports is you don't do it for the name on the back of the jersey. You play for the name on the front. And while we may all have our individual names on the back of our Christian jersey, the name on the front is Jesus. We do it all for him. And so if you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 6.
And we're going to see a time when the church had to come together to overcome an issue. Uh, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. It wasn't all uh, a happy times in the early church. In fact, as the church was growing, they were experiencing growing pains. They were gr- experiencing some turmoil. They were experiencing some issues that were arising. And uh, as these issues arose, how did they respond? What was the course that the disciples take, took? What course did they take to make sure everything was going in the same direction, to make sure that this was just but a hiccup? See, sometimes we forget that leadership and structure are needed. Sometimes we want to say, we just want to be led by the Spirit. But sometimes we also forget that God is a God of order, not chaos. So, uh, you know, we, just want, we think the Spirit is just spontaneity and, and, and go with the flow here or there, but God also works through our planning. And so when this, this, when this turmoil, when this, when this problem arose, the disciples got together and they made a plan. And this is what Luke writes down for us. He says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews uh, among them complained about the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn our responsibility over to them. Uh, we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased uh, the whole group and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a recent convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We see that there are growing pains. Maybe you remember growing up, and, and there's times during different growth spurts, like, oh, my knees hurt, or my back hurts, or my side, and it's just your body growing and adjusting to its new size. It's new. Yeah, you, you, I could, we could always tell whenever um, the kids are, are starting to complain about things that they shouldn't necessarily complain about. Say, oh, a growth spurt's probably coming. Oh, my knees hurt. They've not banged their knees against anything. Oh, a growth spurt is probably coming. And so the church was experiencing growing pains. We can experience them as individuals. We can experience them as, as organizations. <clears throat> because sometimes the, great, the greater the size, the greater the complexity. So the early church it was growing, and as they were growing, they were uh, experiencing some of these pains. Dif- different issues were arising, and they always arise among the, on, the, on the edges, don't they? Oftentimes amongst those who are, who are most vulnerable, those, uh, maybe those who are, are poor or more downtrodden. They, they, it never really happens in the court. It usually always happens around the fringes. And Judaism placed a high priority on the care of of the poor, of the orphan, and the widow. And this same priority took, uh, transferred over into the life of the early church. And so the early church, they, they, while it was uh, made up of a single racial group of those who were Jews, they had multiple uh, cultural influences. You had those who were considered more Hellenistic. 
So there was a time when, when, when all of Israel was together, right? And then God uh, sent them into captivity because they worshiped idols over, over God. And so uh, when, uh, the number, when the Jews started to come back to Jerusalem, not everybody came home. And so they began to spread throughout the known world. But it was in their heart of hearts, they thought it was the, the most holy place for me to be buried was back around Jerusalem. So families would live and they would, they, they, they would maybe they spread out all around the known world. But as they got older, they're like, we want to get back to Jerusalem because that's where all the holy people are buried. That's where we want, we want, we want to be buried back home. And so they, they, they moved back to Jerusalem. And so you had a lot of these widows because they'd move back and then the husband would die and you'd have this, this lady, all of her family is somewhere else. But here she is with maybe very little money, very little means. And so they had lived all around the known world, a world that was influenced by Greek culture. So they were Hellenistic Jews. Then you had the Hebraic Jews. They were the ones who, who likely came back home uh, when, when, the, when the temple was rebuilt, when the, when the walls were rebuilt, when, when they were repopulating uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Galilee. And so uh, when it came time for them, to, to, as they got older and, and their husbands died, they had a bit of a social structure. Their, maybe their kids were still there, but some of them were still in need as well. And so they had this daily distribution of food where they would uh, think of it as, as the early church's meals on wheels. And they would bring food. For some, it was a, a, a weekly stipend. For some, maybe daily food, uh, maybe daily meals or daily money for food. And as these were being passed out, well, the ones that they knew, uh, the ones that had always been there, they made sure that they got their stipend. But maybe those who were a little bit newer to the area, maybe they were more easily overlooked. Well, there wasn't a, a racial disparity. There definitely was a cultural disparity there. And we can see one people, but two cultures. And the church had, the disciples had some decisions to make. Do they, do they split the church and have a, a, Jew, a Hebraic church and a Greek church? How would that work in, in, in taking the gospel to all of the world. And this sounds like, no, no, we can't, we, we can't split over this. We need to come up with a plan. We need to come up with, 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 with a, an organized thought. We need to, 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 we need to make sure that the good news, we can work together as a unified body to take the good news to the ends of the earth. And so the disciples, the 12, uh, they gathered all the disciples together. Now, uh, maybe they had a congregational meeting of like some five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand people. That's about the, the, the number of, of those who were, who were gathering at the time. Maybe, maybe they did have everybody get together and they had this vote in this meeting. Or, or, and maybe, maybe they had, uh, they got a whole bunch of them together and spread the word throughout the group. So they got all of them together. I'm not sure what all of them means. Because having like everybody together, that, might, that would have drawn a little bit of attention. They say, hey, the disciples have this plan. They're like, hey, you want, it's, it, it's not right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. Now, now were the disciples saying waiting on tables was unimportant? No, no, no. It, it, it was not an unimportant thing. They knew that their responsibility, what, what they had been tasked to do, what they were in the best position to do was to lead and to pass on the ministry of Jesus. The 12 of them uh, had been with Jesus from the very beginning. 
And so they were the ones who were best equipped to pass on his message, to teach and to lead and to train so that others could grow in faith. So it wasn't that waiting on tables was unimportant. It was just that there were others, there's others who had the right skills, the right opportunities to care for those that were there. See, caring for widows is important. How we care for those who are the most, for the least and lost, those who are the most vulnerable, that is one of the clearest and easiest ways for us to show others our faith, our love for God, is by loving those who are around us, those who can do nothing for us. But they realized they needed to prioritize their responsibilities, prioritize the task, prioritize the time that they had to accomplish tasks they were best suited for. They alone had that experience, and so they knew others could do this. They, 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 may not be, they, they may not be the exact ones to correct this problem, but they knew that there were those who could. They knew that there were those in their midst who could do this. So they said, brothers, sisters, choose from yourselves seven men from among you who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. And we will turn our responsibility over to them, this responsibility to them, and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. One thing, a couple of things about this. One, I don't think there's anything special about the number seven. I, I, I think may, may, seven seems to be a good number. To, there, there's some number of things in the Bible where seven means completeness. And so maybe you can say, hey, this to them was just a complete number. Seven was just a good number. Uh, maybe, it was just, maybe they knew how many uh, people, that were about how many people were uh, receiving aid. And they said, you know, seven divided that was a, an easy number to, uh, an appropriate number to, for all seven of them to be able to handle. Hey, you're going to take, you know, you're going to get 30, you're going to get, you know, there's like 210 people. So everyone's going to get about 30 and we'll be good to go. I don't know what, if, 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 if there's anything special about number seven. I also don't think there's anything specific and special about the fact that it's men. One thing to note about that is at this point in history, women would not have been able to have the influence or uh, the, uh, the, 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 the power to be able to uh, maybe help affect the change that was needed. Things may have changed. You know, if this was written in this day and age, maybe, maybe men would still be used. Uh, I know that, or maybe it would be a, a, a cross-gender situation. Where, that might be the wrong word. Uh, where, where, multiple, where, where both men and women uh, would be, it'd be a, 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 a co-ed. There we go, a co-ed uh, situation. That might be the word to use. David will have to edit that out. Um, um, <laughs> if not, I'm just going to have to fire myself, and that's going to be really bad. But uh, I think at this time, in this place in history, that male leadership was the norm and that women wouldn't have had the respect and the influence needed to properly fulfill the role. And so if you notice, they gave them specific direction. Hey, when you're thinking through this whole group, those who would be uh, uh, good people to choose, they need to be full of the spirit and full of wisdom. 
Here are the two criteria. This is what we need. We need people who are full of spirit. We need people who are fully connected to God. As we see in, in our large group and small group gatherings, who has a real heart for God? Who has a real heart for, for, for serving him? Who do we see growing in their faith? Who do we see doing great things? Who do we see bearing fruit for the gospel? We need them. And we also need people who are really wise. We need people who just, who know things, who know people, who know how to get things together, who know how to get things done. You have a connection to the Spirit. We have a connection to uh, being able to solve real world problems. Because inherently, any, kind, any form of leading a ministry is a spiritual process. It is a spiritual thing. And so we need spiritual leadership to make sure that the work of the church gets done well and helping prepare and, and build up and release believers to be used by God. There's a building up of others. There's, there's helping them grow. There's releasing them to do ministry, to help them develop and to grow in their gifts. And this requires a level of spiritual maturity. But they also, they also need to be full of wisdom. They also needed real-world knowledge, a practical knowledge about people and problems. There's an old saying that says, we can be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. That we can be so heavenly minded that we are of no earthly good. These were not the people that they were looking for. They wanted men and women who had a strong spiritual foundation, but also one who connected to real world problems of the day. Or as John Stott said, we need people who go through life with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other who hold scripture firmly with one hand, but are well aware of what's going on in the world with, with, with the newspaper and the other, and be able to read those two and, and understand both of them together and how scripture ought to be our lens to view the world around us and how we can take scripture and what it teaches us to meet the problems of our age. With these characteristics, they found seven men among them. Found a man named Stephen. Men named Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, and his buddy Pumba, no, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas. And one thing that's interesting about these seven names is that none of them, none of them, none of them sound like names you would hear in the Old Testament. These were all gentlemen who had some form of Greek culture in their background. The name Philip means lover of horses. It's a Greek name. It's a Greek word. It's a Greek description. It's, 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 these guys are all from other places other than Jerusalem. One guy even was a, a recent convert to, to Judaism. So, and so in a short period of time, <clears throat> he'd gone from paganism to Judaism to now he's a Christian. So he has this world knowledge of, of, of what the culture is like and what the needs of the people are. Some of these names, a couple of these names you might be somewhat familiar with. You've probably heard the name Philip. You've probably heard the name Stephen. They come up here in the next couple chapters if if you're reading through Acts by yourself. Most of these other guys, this is the only time that you hear of them in the entire Bible. This is their 15 minutes of fame. Did you know something? Just because they're never mentioned again doesn't mean that they weren't used by God. 
doesn't mean that they were ineffective in their ministry. It wasn't, doesn't mean that they uh, uh, weren't men of faith, men of wisdom. Because you know what else you don't hear about again? You don't, have, you don't hear about the church have a pro, having a problem with caring for their widows. This is not a recurring problem. There was a problem. The, the, the disciples said, here's a good way to solve it. Find some men, find these guys, and, 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 and then we're going to release them to do this. And they solved the problem. Both sides are cared for. The, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, are all, they, 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 their widows are all cared for. They all have enough food. They are all, all shown love. See, in this moment, this moment could have derailed the church. It could have been a stumbling block. It, all of a sudden, everything was seeming to go really, really great, and this could have just been the point where it all fell off the cliff and all ended. But instead of being a stumbling block, it became a springboard. Luke writes, the word of God spread, and the number of disciples increased rapidly. Rapidly. Why? Because the disciples chose to empower others to do ministry. This could be a time they could have just held on to it themselves and said, you might, hey, we're the leaders. Jesus gave this ministry to us. This is our job. We're going to do this. But they realized if we did that, we only have so many hours in the day. We have only so much time. And, and we need to prioritize what is most important for us and what, what others might be better suited to do. It's important that we make sure that these People are cared for. These people really need to be cared for because if we don't care for them well, it's going to look badly on Jesus. But we might not be the best person to do that. So choose from yourselves seven men and we'll, we'll empower them. We'll equip them. We'll give them the resources they need to accomplish and do ministry. And as their as the church continued to grow, they showed love for the neighbor. The church continued to grow rapidly as they met the needs of the vulnerable around them. See, when our love for others becomes evident, the gospel becomes more attractive. When our love for others becomes more evident, the gospel becomes more attractive. And this can happen as opportunities for ministry are multiplied for everyone to play a part. For everyone to find a place. It's not just about having more opportunity, but it's also having more people to participate as well. Because see, there's a need side and a supply side. And often churches have plenty of needs and places to serve. What we most need is people to supply, on the supply side of people willing to serve and to participate in ministry. See, this text becomes an example of empowering leadership as the disciples mobilize the gifts of others to accomplish the needs of those around them. Let's go back to the moment for to the picture of the team. Sometimes we have this picture that the elders and the staff are the players, and their job is to perform the ministry. Their job is to do all the things, and then the congregation comes in, and they are the audience. You know, you know hey, good job, woo! But a better picture, a more accurate picture, is that the elders and the staff are like player coaches. Our job is to, to raise up and to equip and that the congregation, that we're all players together and that God is the audience. And as we serve and glorify him, he's up there <laughs> applauding us as we 
perform, as we celebrate, as we serve him. Paul writes this. He says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up. He gave leaders. He gave these different positions. He gave, he put people in these places and their job is to be in the church, but not the only ones serving. But that everybody serves and these people help lead and equip and build each other up so that together we can serve and meet the needs of those around us. Not that there are any uh, uh, roles and responsibilities that are too low for anybody, but there are also certain roles that certain people are best skilled for, best gifted for. See, if we fail at this, we fail it for two reasons. One, David and I are pretty quick to add stuff to it. When we see something, because we're in it a little more often, it's easy for us just to add another plate. Try to keep that plate span. So it's easy for us to add another thing and, and just keep that thing, try to keep that thing going. But also, we need others to maybe be a little quicker to put their gifts to use and service for the kingdom of God and his church here in Hagerstown. And so we're looking for men, for women who are full of the spirit and wisdom to use their giftedness to God's glory and the good of others. Not all ministry is up in front. Not all ministry do you have to, to be able to speak. Not all ministry do you have to be able to teach in front of people. Not all ministry is uh, seen. Some ministry happens behind, uh, behind the scenes. You might wonder, hey, how do all those trays get filled with communion week after week after week. It's going to be people come in and, and fill them with the bread and with the juice. How do how does this get done? How does that get done? Some of, a lot of those things happen behind the scenes. And maybe you're like, hey, I can come in and help do some behind the scenes stuff. Maybe say, hey, hey, I, I, I've got gifts and skills to be able to teach and to, 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 to love on, on people and to, and, and to care for them, to, to, to go and help meet needs of those who are, who are most vulnerable. Maybe I, you're good at administration, helping uh, put details and plans together. We need everybody together to use the giftedness that they have to help accomplish these roles. And so tomorrow, I'm, I'm gonna, uh, Tuesday, I'll send out an email, and in the email will be a, a link, and it'll be a, a link to an app, and that app will have a spiritual gift test. And if you would, if you'd uh, go through that, and if you, when you get the results at the end, hey, take a screenshot, take a picture of it somehow, or, or, or send me the, uh, the, the, like the top couple, three, four that, that you get there, and we're going to begin to kind of compile some of these things together so we can help uh, you find a place to serve. So we together as a body can, can be more effective in, in using all of our parts to accomplish God's plan here. You're, a team is only as good as its weakest player. Never do you see a baseball team only send eight men out to the field. Football teams never line up with only 10 players. Sometimes they'll try to line up with 12, but then they get caught and that's a penalty. And a basketball team with four players? will always get beat by a team of five. 
And so we always, we, we, we need, it's better for us to have everybody in the game doing a little something to help us accomplish our plan. In case of, in case of the church, when people begin to put their giftedness to use for the glory of God and the good of others, the church begins to win. So I'm hoping that as we have, have, have listened to this text stage, we've thought through this story, how the church responded to issues, how the church responded to problems. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been calling on you. Maybe you need to take a step to begin to serve. Maybe it might be just to, to, step, to, just to tap, put your foot, begin to put your toe in the water. Let me try here. Let me try there. And just begin to try some things out to, to apprentice in some situations, to see if there's a ministry that really fits, to begin to get off the sidelines and begin to put your faith in action, to t- serve somewhere, to serve anywhere, to figure out what your giftedness is and how it can best be used for the good of the church. Maybe you already know where it is. Maybe you already know where your gifting is. Maybe God's even been calling you and pushing you and leading you to that, and you've just been resistant. Maybe today is the day, the, the, the call to, to just jump in the water, to take the dive, to go all in. See, our desire is that everyone would have a ministry that they served in to help the church grow and to mature the body. Maybe you're looking for a bigger step to take. Maybe you've served in ministry before. Maybe you want to take on the step of a coach. Just like athletic teams need coaches, we need coaches to help people grow and to develop in their faith, help mature the body. And maybe you want to help others be equipped for service so the body of Christ can grow to its full maturity in him. So I believe if you are not serving somewhere, if you're not using your spiritual gifts, you are not fully mature. If you aren't helping others grow in their faith, you have more room to grow as well. So maybe today you need to take your first step of faith. Maybe today you need to make Jesus your savior by committing your life to him, by submitting yourself to baptism. Whatever next step you want, need to make today, we'd love to help talk to you about it, help, help you work through that process, whether it be from baptism, whether it be serving, whether it be uh, helping share your faith, whatever step you need to make today, we would love to have a conversation with you and help you in that today. Maybe you, you want to just let us know quietly, or maybe you're at home and you're thinking about these things. You can fill out the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect, and there under next steps, you can check the appropriate box. Each week, we want to help you grow in your faith, to begin to grow and become the person God wants you to be, has desired for you to be, to use his gifts for the good of others and for the glory of God. See, for the church to reach its fullest potential, we need everyone serving, everyone using their gifts to bring everyone to maturity in Christ. And so maybe it's time to get off the bench to get off the sidelines, to get out of the stands and get in the game. So will you use your gifts to serve God and to help make Jesus famous both here in Hagerstown and around the world? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have saved us. We thank you that you've given your very best for us. Father, as Jesus died, he died to set us free from our sin. He died to set us free from, um, uh, from death. And to give us new life in him. 
Father, would you help us use how you've wired us, the giftedness that you've given us, Father, to make Jesus famous wherever we go. Help others come to know you, to find that same hope, to find that same grace. Father, I pray that you would work in each of our lives and we would experience your presence as you lead us where you want us to serve, lead us where you want us to go. Father, I thank you that this hiccup, this stumbling point in the life of the early church became a springboard for increased growth, rapid growth, as they tapped into the resources that they already had to share your gospel with others. Father, would you help us to do the same? In Jesus' name, amen. And we are glad that you're here with us today, either in-house or online. We hope that you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you again next Sunday.